Wouldn't that be great? Yes to all. Now everybody's happy. I'm not sure that, uh, well, that may be the way Bruce Almighty would answer prayers. I don't think it's the way God Almighty does, however. So we've been uh, going through John's Gospel. We are in uh, chapter 14. Uh, we are taking three weeks to get through 15 verses. Um, we're going to be beginning in uh, verse 12 this morning. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it, and we'll get there. By the way, if you um, don't have sermon notes and you would like some, the ushers have some, and uh, raise your hand, and, and they can bring those over to you. They may even have a pen as well. Chapter 14 is a backstage pass, a look into some of the most intimate details of the upper room on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion. Within less than 24 hours, Jesus will be arrested and then he's going to be crucified. And it's a very stressful, anxious time for the disciples. You can imagine three years with Jesus and he's telling them that he's going to the cross. And they're beginning to sort of catch his drift because the jig is up. Uh, Jesus is in trouble. There's a plot. Judas has left the room. He has been betrayed. And it's just moments before he's going to be arrested. And so as we've been looking through this uh, mini series in John's gospel, we've seen this, that Jesus, in those anxious moments, knew what they needed, the disciples, and knows what we needed in our anxious moments. And Jesus prepares his disciples not by solving our problems or answering our questions, though sometimes he may, but he, he deals with our stress. He deals with their stress in the upper room, number one, by giving them a new perspective, his perspective. And that word, another word for that is a revelation. They, he's been giving them some information that they are going to need in the hours, weeks, months, and years to come as they begin to walk out their faith in Jesus Christ. And so the first week we saw that we need an eternal perspective and that in, in Christ we have the hope of eternity with God. And they needed that hope to carry them forward. And we need that hope to carry us forward. And then the second week we saw, uh, last week actually, that we, we need a relational perspective. Because in Christ we have a, a personal relationship with God. And last week we talked about Daddy God and uh, how God is our Father and the importance of that relationship. And it's because of that relationship... That he responds to our prayers as a loving father responds to the voice of his beloved children. And so this morning we look at this and that was we need a prayerful perspective, a, a prayerful perspective. That in Christ we have the promise of answered prayer, the promise of answered prayer. Uh, just a quick show of hands this morning. Um, how many of you have uh, prayed at least one time in the last month? All right. Most of us, if not all of us. All right. Now, how many of us would say that you pray more often uh, when you're under stress than when everything's going great? How many of us do that? Pray more often under stress. All right. I noticed these hands were like this. Should I admit to this? You know, um, but by the way, if that's you, you're normal. If you only pray when things are good, you're strange. Not strange, just you're not like me. <laughs> so 
See, here's when I pray the least. I pray the least I've noticed when I'm on vacation. You know, uh, like if if you're in a really nice place and everything's just great and, you know, the flowers are blooming and the birds are chirping and everything's great and everything's done for you and it's wonderful and all that. Life's great. And it just doesn't seem to be that stressful. And there's this tendency in us that when we get to that place, ah, you know. Why, Why pray? I don't know if that's. It's not necessarily a good thing. It just tends to be human nature, at least my human nature, and apparently a few of us in the room. Now, I've learned something, though, that with prayers, not all prayers are created equal. Have you noticed? Not all prayers are created equal. Some prayers release God's power. We're going to talk about that this morning. And some don't. Uh, Some prayers, you know, attract the peace of God and calm an anxious soul. And some others even make it worse. Some prayers, you know, we pray and they, they just fall flat. And we pour our heart out to God and we listen. And it seems like all we hear back is the sound of crickets. You know, it's like, what was that? Nothing happened. And we, we wonder, what's, what's the deal? What's wrong? Did I say the wrong words? Am I saying, do I, do I need to get some good spiritual language, some biblical theological buzzwords in there to get God to respond the way I'd like him to do, to respond? What do I got to do now? And here's the thing. In this subject of prayer, I think most Christians and probably most of us in this room are frustrated by the subject of prayer, you know, because we, we have we I think we carry this guilt around that we know we, we need to pray more, but we know we don't pray enough. You know, and then some preacher like me gets up here and says, hey, you need to pray more. And you think, well, gee, pastor, thanks. Add that load of guilt to this pile of bricks I got. And, and we're not doing that this morning. I just, I want to let you relax. It's just, we're not, we're not doing that. that. My message this morning isn't, hey, just pray more. That, pray more, good thing. All right? But we all, we all know that we need to pray more, right? Okay? Let's just get that off the table. Now, um, one of the biggest reasons I think that we get frustrated, particularly if we read the Bible and we compare what the Bible says about what God wants to do in relationship to our prayers and what's actually happening in our own prayer life. You know, we see a promise in Scripture like the one I'm about to read and we look at it and we think, well, wait a minute, he promised that. I ain't getting none of that in my life. And we think well, the conclusion is one of two things. Either, either God's word isn't true or there's something wrong with me. And which one is it? And that's the conclusion that we come to. And I'm not sure that it's either one of those. I think maybe we need to grow and learn something that the Lord wants us to understand about prayer this morning. John 14, we're going to begin in verse 12. And if it's on the screen, we're going to go ahead and read it together. Ready? Go. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the son may bring glory to the father. You may ask anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Lord, would you open your word to us this morning? Lord, we we need some understanding. Lord, would you fill us with uh, a fresh perspective? A revelation, Lord, and that our prayer times with you would be filled with a a refreshing power that we haven't seen before. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. So as we go forward, 
We're going to talk about three things. One is the power of prayer, the purpose of prayer, and then the prerequisite of prayer. And that's kind of our map this morning. First, just want to talk a little bit about the, the power, because all of these elements are contained in this passage. When I first read this, and probably when you did too, my eyes were drawn to some important phrases. They're these. I will do whatever you ask. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. I mean, my eyes are whoop, laser beam right in there. Wow. Is that an incredible promise? And it is. It's an absolutely astonishing promise. And it is a true promise. And so as we read that, we think, oh, man, whatever you ask, he's going to do. Whatever, anything in my name, he's going to do it. And we think, is, is this the genie in the bottle? Your wish is my command. Is that what's going on here? I don't think the world would be a safe place if God gave us all that kind of power. Where he just said, your wish is my command. And that's not what he's saying here. So we're going to unpack this. The power of prayer, we see in, the, in verse 12. He says, tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Because I go to the Father. So let's just unpack this a little bit. Who is he talking about? Who is a candidate for this promise? Is it, uh, he says, uh, is, it, uh, anyone who, is it anyone who prays? No, no, that's not what he said. Is it anyone who worries out loud gets to experience this promise? No, is it, is it anyone who prays very sincerely gets to have answers to prayer? No, he says this. He says, it's anyone who has faith in me. You see, this power is available to anyone who is a disciple, a disciple, a disciple. See, Jesus isn't making this promise to a big crowd. He's making this promise to a very select few, his inner circle of 12, actually 11. Judas has left the room already. And you see, a disciple isn't someone who raised his hand or her hand and voted for Jesus in, a, in an emotional meeting. That might be a good start of a discipleship relationship, but that's not necessarily the definition of a disciple. It's someone who is led by Jesus, not naturally or not generally self-driven, but submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ. You see, that's who he's talking about. He's talking to people who have said to Jesus, my life is your life. My life is your life. I'm going to follow you. And see, that is the, the heart of from which he is approaching these men. He is speaking to men who have given up everything to follow him. And I know when I say that, we think, well, wait a minute. I, I, how do I do that? I mean, we all think, well, I don't measure up to that. Look, he's not calling perfect people. And he's not saying that only perfect people get answers to prayer. It's not what he's saying. But he knows your heart. He knows that you are committed to following him. And if that's you, then you're a disciple. And this promise is for you. And, you know, in these disciples, in the years that follow, this truth was or this promise was literally fulfilled. It was for them because uh, they would uh, 
we're reading, by the, by the way, in our life journals right now, in Acts, I think this morning was Acts 19, in our reading plan. If you don't have a life journal and want a reading plan, you can get them uh, on your way out this morning at the welcome table. But we've been reading in the, in the book of Acts the incredible miracles of the disciples. And so what Jesus has just told them in the upper room, we read in the book of Acts the, 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 the people that were raised from the dead, the people that were healed, the, the people who were released of demonic possession, all of these things, which are literally true of the men whom Jesus is speaking to. And then he says this. He says, if this just doesn't crack you up. He says, even greater things. He says, you'll do even greater things than these. I've wrestled. That is probably one of the phrases that just baffles my mind. Because when you think about how could you do greater miracles than Jesus? Raising the dead? Hello? How could you top that? How could you top walking on the water, feeding 5,000? And, and, and as I think about that, and I think about what the disciples did and what the disciples today are still doing in, our, in, our, in the Christian churches all around the world today, I think Jesus may have been meaning not so much a, a, an individual miracle that is way better than what Jesus did, but that spiritually there would be a, a scope of ministry that would is even greater than what Jesus did. Because when you think about it, Peter... On the day of Pentecost, the guy who just a few days before was denying Jesus and ever following Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, he is all of a sudden empowered to preach to, to, to thousands of people. And, and three of 3,000 of them come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then you see them doing what Jesus did. And, and, and they had more effective ministries in terms of numbers and scope and size than Jesus did. Because we know at the cross... It was, what, less than five people at the base of the cross that were his friends. I think John and some of the ladies. And Peter was off scared. And so this was literally, he said, greater things. And that just boggles my mind. And how is this possible? Jesus said it's possible because I go to the Father. He said, I go to the Father. You see, he ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. And from the center of authority and power, he then sent his Holy Spirit to be with you and me forever. This is incredible news. In fact, the, the next several chapters are going to be devoted to that very thing. The, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And as long as Jesus remained on earth, his authority would transform only a handful of men and women. But then when he ascended to the Father and sent his spirit, his authority would flow to and through every disciple in every corner of the world, including you, including me. This is the promise. And it's an amazing promise. And so this is where the power of prayer comes from. This power comes from our perfect Savior. It comes from Jesus. It comes from our perfect Savior, and then it is released through, I love this, imperfect people. Just like you, and just like me. And He releases that power through imperfect people to transform an imperfect and troubled world. You see, the authority of heaven is now being poured out on His disciples. 
And he is spreading that authority. And as the authority of Jesus Christ goes out and the Lord begins to answer our prayers as we begin to welcome and to receive his authority, that authority begins to move out into our workplace, into our homes, into our communities, into our churches, into our government. And we see miracles today. You think, well, wait a minute, I haven't seen very many. I've seen people healed. I've seen people released of demonic possession. If you talk to Brother Ray Wright, he can tell you about one that was raised from the dead right in front of him. God answers prayer. He still does. He still does. And he calls to us to answer, to, to, to call out to Daddy God with arms high and hearts abandoned in awe of him. And as I begin to come through this, I, I, I come to this realization that as I begin to understand what prayer really is, I, I am embarrassed at how many of my prayers or so-called prayers are actually not really prayers at all. They're a wish list given to the genie in the bottle. <laughs> or it's more like worrying out loud. <laughs> but you see, genuine, powerful prayers are those which stand against everything Jesus hates and stand for and promotes everything that Jesus loves. And he uses you and me to do that. And this makes the purpose of prayer now that much clearer. Because number two, the purpose of prayer is found in verse 13. It says, so that the son may be bring glory to the father. The son may bring glory to the father. See, the purpose of prayer isn't to get your needs met. I want to restate that. The purpose of prayer is not to get your needs met. You think, wait a minute, are my needs not important? They're very important and they're very important to God. But the very purpose we pray isn't to get our needs met. You see, it's if we put that first, we have the wrong thing first. We've got to get something else first, because the purpose of prayer is first to bring glory to God. That's the purpose of prayer. You see, you bring glory to God and then you bring your needs to God. That's what he's saying. We've got to get things first. We've got to get things right. And so what does that, when it says bring glory to God, what does that mean? It means to show honor. You see, Jesus promised to do whatever we asked as long as it brings honor to his father. So if you prayed, dear God, give me a promotion at work. I want a promotion at work. Can I have a promotion at work? Will he give that to you? Maybe. Maybe not. Now, we've got to remember something. He knows you better than even you know yourself. He does. And he knows whether a promotion will either just puff you up with pride or if by doing so is going to be an opportunity for the authority of the kingdom of God to come and have greater influence right there in your workplace. He knows the difference. You see, you don't need God to get a promotion. Let's be honest with it. 
Your talent and good looks can do that. Work hard, know the right people, make the right connections. You can get a promotion. You can get noticed. People do it all the time without God. But here's what you can't do without God. You cannot welcome and the authority of God into a workplace or into a home or into finances or into relationships. You can't, you can't have that without God. You can't. And so God is glorified in our prayers. You see, you can pray. You can pray, Lord, help me with my finances. Help me with my finances. But if you refuse to tithe, insist on cheating on your taxes, and are obsessed with materialism, your prayer won't bring glory to God. And he's not going to want to answer that prayer. Because what you would rather do is uh, do money the world's way. And a disciple does money God's way. You could you could pray, dear God, save my marriage. But if you refuse to forgive, refuse to address your anger problem, if you can't humble yourself and serve one another, your prayers, they won't bring glory to God. And I understand there's two people in a marriage and, and you can't. It's just it, it's such an emotional thing. But he, he changes your heart when you pray. I guess the weird question then is, how do I know that I'm praying the right kind of prayers? How do I pray prayers that bring glory to God? Maybe, maybe we need to learn prayer language. I don't mean spiritual language. I mean, that might be nice, but, but you know, you watch TV. Maybe we need to pray like those guys on TV. Dear Heavenly Father... Yea, though, merrily, gently down the stream. Is that the way we should pray? I was at a prayer breakfast one time with a bunch of pastors. It was about a dozen of us, and we were sitting around the table. And I, I, I love other pastors, but one of the things that just drives me absolutely nuts is the way that pastors want to impress one another. And one of the brothers was asked to pray. And that was like the prayer he prayed. Oh, God, thank you for this omelet. And thank you for these wonderful... And it's like, dude, I'm like sitting right here. You know, I'm like, you know, my ears hurt now. And I'm thinking, and I think he was, he's a, he loves Jesus and all that, but his prayer wasn't for God, it was for me. Those, that's not what we need. How should we pray then? Well, there's a model that Jesus gave us, and we're not going to go through it in detail. But the first part, I think, so trans, uh, so connects with what we talked about even last week. Because in Jesus' model of prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, it starts out with two words. Our Father. Our Father. Which is a reminder to us that I'm coming not to Santa Claus, not to a genie in a bottle, but my Heavenly Father who loves me. Who wants me to have the best life I could ever have. Who knows what I want, but even better than that, knows exactly what I need when I need it. And think of it this way. If it's the 4th of July, and you're a dad, and your kid says to you, he's a five-year-old kid, little guy, little tyke, and he, he says, Dad, 
I want a pack of firecrackers for Christmas or for Fourth of July. I like them for Christmas too. Come on, anyway. And New Year's. I used to sell those illegally, and I'll tell you that's another story. Um, the neighbor ladies really loved me. Um, but uh, imagine if you're a dad and, and, and a kid comes to you and says, Can I have a pack of firecrackers? Fourth of July? And, and a responsible dad is going to say something like, um, Hey, how about we do this? How about we go to Commencement Bay and watch the fireworks display tonight? Now, that is an amazing display. You know, it's going to last a long time, and firecrackers, a pack is going to go just poop like that and probably blow the kid's hands off. Now, as a kid, you, you, if you're the kid, you can say, Now nah, I want a pack of firecrackers. Nah, 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 nah. How dare you not give me what I want? Or, we can trust the Lord enough to know that He sees things that even I don't. I mean, go figure. I mean, he's God, right? And so we trust him as a, as a father. The prayer says, hallowed be thy name. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's a reminder to us to reflect on the holiness of God, to worship God, to let your soul marinate in his glory. And as you do, his glory begins to permeate your thoughts, permeate your soul, permeate your heart and your dreams, your wants and the needs. And you know what happens as you begin to think and to understand the glory of God? You begin to change a little different. I've noticed many times going into prayer with all these things on my list that my list gets way shorter afterwards. Not because God isn't interested, but there's like, oh, duh. Oh, OK. Duh. You know, and, and I can bring these. But I've just noticed that I change. And my prayers then begin to take on a whole new targeted dimension because I'm beginning to understand what God wants. And now we're getting close to the secret of powerful prayer. Why is it so important? Why is it so important that we glorify God? Is it because Father God is this insecure person who needs his little minions to sing his praise? I don't think so. Reminds me of uh, maybe moms and dads, if you ever had a teenager or a kid of any age, actually. So when your kid comes to you with a big smile, gives you a big hug, you know, sort of out of the blue, you know, starts baking your cookies, starts saying, oh, dad, mom, you're the best dad. You're the best mom on the planet. You're amazing. What's your reaction? What do you want? Or you're thinking, Man, somebody, if, if, if it's genuine, you're thinking that this, this kid's been abducted by aliens. But more than likely, they want something. And see, what we need to understand is that God's favor can't be bought. So when we come to praise and worship and when we, when we focus on the glory of God, we're not buttering up God to get him to give us something. That, that's not what's happening. I think it's more like the, the phone call that I had with my son the other day. He's uh, in California at uh, university. And uh, we were just talking about life, talking about his friends, his school, the things he's going to do this summer, and his girlfriend. And, um, and it was Friday afternoon, so I said to him, I said, hey, Ty, what are you doing this weekend? Are you going out tonight with your buds? No, Dad, they're all going to Disneyland. 
Oh. And I, he, he used to have, in California, you can get an annual pass for 80 bucks. And so I thought he had an annual pass. And I said, well, why aren't you going? He says, I don't have the money. I said, oh, you don't have a pass? He says, no. I said, how much is it? He says, it's 80 bucks. I said, oh. Well, I'm going to hang up right now and send you 80 bucks. We're going to pass. Really? Dad? Thanks. That's cool. I had a blast. I loved it. I said, go have fun. I love my son. I want to bless him. I love that he, I love that he loves me. I love that he wasn't calling me, begging me for money. <laughs> I'd give it to him if I could, but it's just, he just was calling to say, say, hey. And I think that's prayer. It's kids calling to honor their dad, not to butter him up. And our Father in Heaven wants to bless his kids. And, you know, I know that my son that day, uh, when he went to Disneyland with his buds, he didn't walk up and show them their past and say, hey, guess what? I worked a few extra hours and I bought this all by myself. He didn't do that. If he did, I'll kill him. <laughs> but I know my son. I know he didn't do that. And if somebody had asked, hey, I thought you didn't have the money. Where, where'd you, how'd you come up with the thing to get the past? He would have said, my dad surprised me. He's really generous. I love my dad. That was cool. And he would be glorifying his father because he's giving credit where credit is due. That's prayer. You see, if you only have three minutes to pray, spend two of them glorifying God. If you've got three minutes to pray, spend two of them glorifying God. If you've got, if you've got 30 minutes to pray, spend 20 of them, two-thirds, glorifying God. Just, it's like, put on a music tape, read the Psalms, reflect on who God is. You know, it's no accident that on Sunday morning we spend time, a considerable amount of time, in praise and worship before we open the Word. Why do we do that? It's because unless we understand who God is, we won't be able to accept what God wants us to do, to see, and understand. And so the reason we come into worship is to marinate in the glory of God, in the presence of God, that His heart would begin to fill my heart with who He is. Because I am changed in the presence of a holy God. We are changed in the presence of a holy God. And then there's the prerequisite of prayer. There's a condition, actually. Verse 14, he says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. A prerequisite. You know what a prerequisite is? A prerequisite, if you ever went to college or school or whatever, you know that you've got to take course 101 before you can take course 102, right? There's a, something that you have to take. It's a condition that needs to be met before the other thing can happen. And can you imagine if Jesus had just said, I will do whatever you ask and put a period on it and left it right there. Can you imagine how dangerous that would be in the hands of people like you and me? I would have won the lottery about a thousand times already. And so would you. And we'd all share a dollar. <laughs> I just can't imagine if Jesus had stopped there. Can you, that, but he qualifies this promise. There's a condition. 
And it's this. It's the safety mechanism. And it's the phrase, in my name. And, and here it is. The only prayers that he responds to are those prayed in Christ's name. In Christ's name. So what does that mean? Does that mean I'll get whatever I ask as long as at the end or the beginning or somewhere in the prayer I say, in the name of Jesus. So in the name of Jesus, make the school bully break out in hideous big zits. Amen. In the name of the Jesus, in the name of Jesus, let me pick the winning lottery numbers. Amen. Is that what it means? No. Maybe it's, um, it's, it's like Jesus' name is like having the sufficient postage on a stamp. <laughs> and so when the post office in heaven sees the Jesus stamp, the prayer is accepted and delivered. No, that's not what's going on. Nothing like that. Here's what it is. How many of you, um, honest folks, have, um, well, those of us who drive, how many of you have ever driven even just a half a mile over the speed limit? Wow. Bunch of sinners. Bunch of sinners. I just raised my hand to make you feel better. I, I would... Now, since we just admitted that we'd broken the law, what if, while you're driving down the road, some random motorist waves at you, yelling at you that you're, you're speeding, and tells you to pull over? Are you going to pull over? No. No. Well, the other day, well, not the other day, a little while ago, something like that kind of happened to me. I was... Uh, this, this uh, driver pulls up behind me and waves at me and tells me to pull over, which is kind of strange. There's something a little different, though, about this one, is that uh, he had these big letters on the side of his car that said, Milton Police. And so I pulled over. And as he came up to the car, I could see that his badge said, Police, or Milton Police. City of Milton. And you see, that's why we didn't, we wouldn't pull over to the random stranger because they have no authority to do that. But I pull over when the cop says pull over because he has an authority to do that. He carries the badge. He carries the name. And the authority of the city. And you know, that cop, he doesn't drive around town delivering pizzas. That's, that's not what he does. Well, at least we hope that's not what he does. No, he enforces the will of the city leadership. And see, this means that prayers offered in the name of Jesus are prayers that are prayed according to his will under his authority. So maybe it would help. Just it's kind of a silly idea, but not necessarily that silly. And if when we prayed, I just wonder, what if when I prayed, I wore a badge that said Officer Chad. And I, and I had a uniform that said City of Jesus. I mean, 
I, I just wanted you to see that picture because when we come to prayer, again, we're not there to get our needs met. We're there coming under the authority of God to do the will of God. And so we want to know what he wants us to be about as we begin to understand what his will is. And we have that badge of authority, which, by the way, is the cross. We begin to pray on target. And we bring our anxious thoughts to Jesus, pour out our hearts, and we say, not will, my will, but your will be done. Jesus put that in the Lord's Prayer. And your will be done. That is an honest admission that even though I desperately want to receive what I've asked from God, I'm admitting to you, God, that I really don't know everything. I just, I don't. And I'm trusting you a little bit. I'm trusting you a little bit. I'm trusting you a lot. I'm saying, not my will, but your will. Now, I want to be careful with this because I've heard a lot of people pray for things like miracles and will say, not my will, but thy will be done. And when it's a faithful prayer, that's way awesome. But I think sometimes people say that. What they really mean is that I've never seen you heal anyone, and I doubt you're going to heal this one either. So when you don't come through like I don't believe you're going to, I can say it must not have been the Lord's will. People, that's a chicken prayer. It's a chicken prayer. Because it forgets what verse 12 says, that anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. You see, I take that to mean that Jesus still wants to do miracles through his disciples. And so when I'm faced with an impossible situation, I know that Jesus still hates disease. I know that he still hates injustice. I know that he still hates broken relationships. And I know that my perfect Savior still wants to release his power through imperfect people just like me. So when I pray for prayer, for healing for somebody, I know that it's God's, God didn't create sickness. He didn't create this. He hates it. And so I come from the position that I can't even imagine God not wanting you healed. Now, I know what God, I know that God has a mind of his own. I know that he knows everything from the beginning and the end. And I can say, thy will be done, not my will. I can leave it to him, but I want to come. I want to pray for you, and I hope you'll pray with me in faith. Believing the best of God and knowing that he wants to use you to take his authority into the lives and the situations that Lord is bringing in your workplace, in your family, in your home. And you know, he wants to meet your needs. They're important to you. It reminds me of a story of a, a, a widow. She had five children. She was broke. Didn't have a job. No money. And uh, it was at the end of the month, and she was desperate. So what she would do is she would regularly go on her porch every morning, and she would pray, Dear God, you know I don't have any money. You know I don't have a job. You know I have five hungry children. I need your help. Would you please come and provide for us? And she would pray this. Every day. What it was, and it irritated her neighbor to no end because her neighbor was an atheist. This just drove him absolutely nuts. 
And so one day he thought, ah, oh, I'm going to get her. So she comes out on the porch, prays her prayer, dear Lord. Da, da, da. So that day, um, he says, I'm gonna, I know what I'm going to do. So the next morning she comes out. She starts to look. She, before she prays, she can see. What this guy has done is he's gone and bought a whole bunch of groceries and stuck them on the porch. And she says, oh, Lord, thank you for the groceries. And he interrupts her. Lady, how can I bought those for you? How can you possibly think that a God that doesn't exist did that for you? How could you give some mythical figure the, the credit? How crazy are you, lady? And without stopping a beat, she raised her eyes to heaven, raised her hands. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for providing for my family. And Lord, thank you for getting the devil to pay for it. I think God has a sense of humor, too. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And just as a reminder that we need to marinate in the glory of God so that we're going to know who He is, what He hates, what He loves. And when we pray, let's come to prayer wearing the badge and uniform of the cross. Carrying the authority of Christ humbly, courageously. And let's seek his will to be done on earth. Just as it is in heaven. Amen. Mm -hmm.